listening to First Church Charlotte. say thank you to our guests who are worshiping with us today. It's a beautiful day. I love the, I love, I've loved the weather this week because it was like Friday. It was stormy and tornado warnings and trouble and rain. And then Saturday it was more storms. I even got my car washed on Saturday and it rained all over it. That's of the devil right there. And then today the sun came out. It's like a weather metaphor of the story of the resurrection. Like they old-time preachers used to say, it may seem like Friday night, but Sunday's on the way. So here we are on this beautiful Resurrection Day. We celebrate uh, our faith. We celebrate the promises of God in our life. And it is my honor to be able to speak to you for a brief moment, uh, open the word of the Lord to you. Uh, Ed mentioned the connect cards that are in your seats. Our church, uh, we want to minister to you. We want to be a spiritual uh, blessing to you. And there are things that you can check on there for uh, a pastor to call you, uh, a Bible study, to join a small group, uh, to volunteer in a ministry. Uh, We want to connect with you. We're not going to nag you. We're not going to sell your information. But we do want to be a spiritual uh, blessing to you. So I'm going to read 1 John chapter number 4. Why don't we stand together as is our habit. 1 John 4. We'll read one verse of Scripture. Verse number 10. Our subject today, our theme for the day is pursuit, a love story. And so I want to show you that here in the first gospel, the first epistle of John 4, verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the covering of our sins. So this is John's point. Uh, It's not notable that we loved God. We needed God. There was no help in us. The picture of love is not us loving him. We needed him. The picture of love is God loving us. God didn't need us, but he made a place for us. He opened his heart to us. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that today? Lord Jesus, bless your people. Bless this house. Let your word be real in our hearts and in our lives. Let someone leave this place today with a new consecration, a new dedication to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. Before you're seated, tell your neighbor, I'm watching you. Don't be falling asleep. I want to welcome all the people who's watching this live. We actually had a fair number of people reach out to us and let us know they're going to be watching today. So all of you guys who have too much money and you're out on vacation, I pray you run out of money and come home. (laughs) Amen. Uh, The poet Ralph Waldo Emerson observed very correctly that the entire world loves a lover, as if to say... People love a love story. People are attracted to a love story. Um, Love makes sense of a confusing world. And this isn't just a religious thing. Uh, This is a theme that is woven through our music, not just old music, modern music. Uh, It's woven through our novels. It's woven through movies. It's woven through all the stories that 
we tell ourselves, we tell one to another. Love makes sense of a, a chaotic and confused world. Uh, like the songwriter said, I don't know much, but I know I love you. It makes sense of my world to know where uh, my love, my love is. The Bible is uh, a book full of love stories. In fact, the Bible as a whole is one 66-book-long love story about the love of God uh, shown to us. Uh, God is love, the writer says, and the only way we can understand him, the only way we can perceive him, is to comprehend that love. The Bible doesn't just give us truth. It gives us truth wrapped in a love story. If it was just truth, we probably couldn't stand it. If it was just truth, it would probably primarily say you're a sinner and you don't have much hope. But God took truth and he wrapped it in a love story and gave it to us as a revelation of his nature. Whatever you think of God, you have to see the deep, profound love he has for his creation. In fact, if the God that you carry in your mind, if your idea of God does not reflect love, you have missed something fundamental about the nature of God. I love to tell, I love to tell uh, unbelievers, they tell me they don't believe in God, and I, I love to say this, to actually got it from uh, Timothy Keller, this is, was his idea, but in the manner of preachers everywhere I stole it immediately. <laughs> uh, tell me about this God you don't believe in. I may not believe in him either. The idea being that people get flawed ideas of God in their mind, and it's no wonder they reject their flawed idea of God. I want you to see here today that unless you have a sense of profound love in your view of God, you are missing something fundamental about love because the Word of God from beginning to end is an unfolding love story that is told from God's heart to yours. The Bible's full of these love stories. The Bible opens up with a story about a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and uh, they have it all. They have peace, love, protection, and excellent real estate, which all newlyweds know is quite a big deal. Uh, all the way to Revelations, where a bride is called up to meet a heavenly husband. It is a love story that tells the story of God. If you go through the Bible, you find one love story after another, and, and many of them uh, truthfully, many of them are beautiful love stories. For example, there's the story of, of Jacob and the story of Rachel. Uh, Jacob sees Rachel and he falls so hard and fast in love with her. Uh, he agrees, and he deserved this considering the the con man he had been, he agrees to work seven years to get Rachel. And the Bible says those seven years seemed as but a few days to him. Honey, that is love right there. If women, if you ever meet a man, he works seven years for you, and he's like, that ain't nothing. You should marry that sucker. That's, that's all I had to say about that. That is some serious love. Now, us men know that after we get married, we're going to work the rest of our life. But um, 
that first seven years can be pretty, pretty uh, weighty, pretty, pretty heavy in our life. But Rachel and Jacob, that's a beautiful love story. And I actually heard a message recently that made me laugh out loud. So I'm going to share some, some of you guys will be offended, but I, that's how I roll. So um, uh, somebody just preached a message on uh, Rachel and Jacob. And they were telling the story about how Jacob, uh, he, he falls for Rachel, works seven years. His father-in-law tricks him, gives him Leah. That's not as pretty a love story there. That's a little bit of an ugly love story. Poor Leah, she does all the work, gets none of the credit. Uh, and so he, this preacher preached this message entitled, Going to Bed with Rachel and Waking Up with Leah. <laughs> and that's so funny to me because you know how we all fix up to go on a date and the next morning you have morning hair, you have morning face, and you have morning breath. <laughs> Yeah, this is real church right here. Let's, let's get real. You know in the, the, the rom-coms where they always wake up in the morning and they go in for the kiss? If you've been married, the first thing you're thinking is, honey, you should brush your teeth and then come back and go in for that kiss. Now, if you've never been married, you know, you, you, you're like, oh, that's so sweet. Married folks will be, hmm, bathroom's that way. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, too much reality for you. Moving along for nervous people. Uh, another beautiful love story is the story of Ruth and Boaz. Uh, Ruth is the ultimate outsider. She's not of the house of Israel. She's an immigrant. She's a widow. She has nothing. She is representing the, the lowest strata of, of poor, almost borderline helpless people. Uh, and yet God has prepared a husband for her. And while she is she's gleaning on the fields, the Lord has prepared the heart of Boaz to take her as his wife. And the story is beautiful because it isn't just Boaz choosing Ruth. God chose Ruth. God loves to take the ultimate outsider and make them a part of the story. So if you're here and you feel like an outsider, there's a pretty good chance God wants to make you part of his story. Also, the most famous uh, book of love in the scripture is the story of the young king and the maiden of Ephraim. You will know it as the most beautiful song or the song of songs or, as we like to say, the song of Solomon. All of these are beautiful love stories and uh, we enjoy them. But I want to point out to you that uh, God's love isn't really a rom-com. It's, it's, it's not really just a pretty story. It's, it's really not for your entertainment. It is to teach you something about about the heart and the nature of God. And if you think of God's love as an entertaining story of prettiness, you have missed the fundamental reality of the story. The Bible also has some not-so-pretty love stories. I already mentioned Jacob and Leah. Uh, let me also mention Samson and Delilah. Delilah tricked, trapped, and snared, and cut off all his hair, and he lost his power. That's not a pretty love story. I can imagine that moment where he wakes him. He's like, what have you done? Usually, that's my wife's face looking at me, not mine looking at her, but uh, not a very pretty story. Also, David and Michael, that's kind of an awkward story if you take time to read it. Uh, that's one part of the story is good, and part of the story is not so good. The story of David and Bathsheba, that's awkward. Come here, children, let me tell you how I met your mother. <laughs> you see, she needed a bath. <laughs> I was hanging out on top of the house. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> the ugliest love story in the Bible is the story of a prophet by the name of Hosea and a woman by the name of Gomer. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's not pretty at all. It is, however, deeply. 
powerful and deeply instructive into the nature of God and God's love for you. As a preacher, I want so much today to remind you of God's profound love for you. I, I want so much for you to leave this house today with a sense of God really, really got involved in my life. He really made a way. It's not just a fancy saying for religious folks to make. He really made a way. So I want to teach you, not with pretty love. Uh, pretty love has its place. But if you want to understand love, you can't just show up on sunny days. You have to be there in the middle of the storm because that is love. If you want to really understand love, you can't just show up and kind of get the, the, the honeymoon view. I'm, I'm glad for your honeymoon. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you haven't had one yet, I hope you get one. God bless you. It'll be fun. But that's just one pretty side of love. I have to take you through the pain. I have to take you through the loss. I have to take you through the brokenness. And I have to let you see love in the eyes of your lover saying, uh, things aren't good. I'm not going anywhere. I am right here with you. This is the love of God, not the love of just pretty stories, but the love of profound commitment and profound consecration. This is the love of God. So let me tell you a, a rather ugly, even awkward story. The Lord speaks to a young prophet named Hosea at the very beginning of his book. And of course, you can read this book in the scripture. And he speaks to him and he says, I want you to find a woman uh, with a very uh, very checkered past. I want you to find somebody who is living as an active harlot. I want you to find her. I want you to love her as I have loved the children of Israel. I want you to choose her as I have chosen the children of Israel. And I want to show my people just how I love them. And so Hosea, uh, he is living in Samaria. And there is, of course, in Samaria, a lot of this kind of a, uh, a, a lustful, sinful, immoral tradition that is really a part of the culture, much more more than in some of the other areas of uh, the tribes of Israel. And, and he goes, Hosea goes, and he, he chooses a young harlot. Her name was Gomer, and he marries her. And he probably, he probably swept her off her feet in, in, in some ways. The reason why I say that is because most people who end up in that kind of a life didn't choose it. They, they really represent a strata of humanity where they, they didn't have any, they didn't have much of a chance. They, they reflect the brokenness that is in their life. And, and so it is with sin. There are circumstances, particularly with addictions and, and the like, where uh, people who had good chances can end up in, in lives like this. But I would say much more common, uh, much more often you find people, they come from a bad circumstance. They never had the chances that uh, some of us had. They never had the opportunities that some of us had. And they end up broken. But the truth is, is from the standpoints of sin and shame, they were already starting from a pretty bad decision. Yes, if they had been strong, they might have made a way out. But let us not stand here and pretend like it's easy to make your way out of a circumstance where you inherit brokenness and you literally in your soul carry around the broken pieces of a life that has cut you and, and, and harmed you and hurt you and 
probably, probably. I, I'm just speaking in probabilities, human probabilities. Uh, Gomer didn't have much of a chance ever. Uh, she probably grew up in a broken situation, and now she's a young harlot, and uh, her uh, her husband uh, Hosea comes and takes her from from that life. And for a while, it works. Um, they have children. They actually have three children, but. Gomer is broken. She's broken in a way that Hosea can't fix. This is, a, this is an important reality because some of us try to fix people that we cannot fix. We, we, we fail to fix ourselves, and then we go try to fix someone else. And um, uh, really what you have to do oftentimes is you, you have to introduce them to the great physician and see if they will humble themselves to God. Because if they will humble them, God will not force himself on them. But if they will humble themselves to God, that is the most most important moment in their life. When they say, I've tried it my way, now I'm going to allow the great physician to begin to work on my life. That is the most important moment in their life. They've been going this way and now they turn their heart and they incline their spirit toward God and his love flows into them. That's when healing begins. In fact, let me just throw this in here for a discount rate. If you are living with a broken soul, you need to believe that God is your only hope your only salvation. And you need to start right here today. Say, Lord, I'm going to start walking your way. I'm just going to turn my affections toward you. I'm going to start following after your lead. That's how healing happens. Uh, Hosea is trying to make whole a broken person. It's very hard to make whole a broken person. Uh, that's something that only God can do. And, and for whatever reason, this house of uh, unity and kind of domestic uh, sanctuary, this, this safe place where you have this young, this young prophet, this, this young man who is so in his own way a man of genius. If you read his book, you you see this about him. Hosea, he has the heart, the heart of a hero. He has uh, the passion of a poet. He has, he has the zeal of a saint. And he's willing to use his whole life to teach people how God loves them. This is beautiful because this is what God has called all of us to do. To use our life to teach people just how much God loves them. Amen. Gomer leaves. She leaves her children. She goes right back to that life that she had lived. Who knows the reasons why humans uh, are complicated. And things turn out worse for her than even she imagined. Uh, she had been a free woman, but because of her problems, because of the choices she makes, she ends up as a slave. Not just a harlot, a slave. And when the owner has used her up and made all the money off of her he can make, he sells her as a slave. Now imagine, this is a, you know, we live in a fairly large city. We're comfortable with living lives that are pretty anonymous. You, you don't see people you know every day. You can live, you can eat out, you can work out, you can shop at the grocery store. You won't see people you know every day. But in their world, you couldn't escape the smallness of your connections. And so everybody knows her story. Everybody sees, everybody knows. Hosea would have been a man of some respect and some 
some status as is appropriate to the priests and the prophets of the era. Uh, and here's this shameful wife, this embarrassment. And uh, so you see, you see this moment. You can imagine her brought up to this place where the slaves are sold. And anybody there, they know because it's a small world and uh, there's not a lot to do. So they said, we're going to talk about people and the nature of humanity since God made little apples. And here she is. In the style of the time, she's stripped naked, standing on her auction block, and they're bidding for her. Oh, there are so many things you can say at this moment. There's so many things you can point out about mistakes she made. But to the surprise of the crowd, the prophet shows up at Gomer's cell, and he begins to raise his hand as the price is offered. And what Hosea does to teach the house of Israel how much God loves them is he buys his slave wife back from her slavery as a sign of just how much God loves his people. Now, I warned you it wouldn't be a pretty love story. I warned you it would have some ugliness in it. But this is what I want you to see. Love is most powerful when it is applied to the imperfect. This is love. Not that we loved God. We needed God. We desperately needed God. We were in sin. We are entrapped in a type of spiritual brokenness. We needed God. But oh, hear me. God didn't need us. God could have moved on and left us in our sin. But what did he choose to do? God showed up and paid our debt. How far will God's love pursue you? He'll pursue you until the end of your days. How far will God's love reach for you? As long as there is breath in your body, God's love is reaching for you. You say, I've met a, made a mess of my life. That's all right. God's love is most beautiful when it's reaching for the imperfect soul. Oh, I want you to see two truths. Number one, God's love is larger than your capacity for sin. God's love will go beyond your ability to travel. And though you go to the ends of the earth, you're going to hear a, 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 a excuse me, a, 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 a hymn song there, and it's going to go like this: "Your mercy endures forever." However far you go, His mercy goes that far. However far you march. His mercy marches just that far. God loves you and he shows you through the prophet. And the Lord says to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another, she's an adulteress, but love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. And so love pursues broken people. Love pursues ugly sin. Love pursues those who have fallen far. This can be hard for us. Let, let's be honest. It's, it's really easy for us to serve God with the mentality of a bookkeeper. And so if you haven't been doing good, what do you do? You don't come to church. Why? Hadn't been doing good. You've got a bookkeeper mentality. When I'm doing good, then I go to church. Honey, 
even when you doing good, you ain't doing good. You ought to come on out to the house of the Lord and let go your earned salvation. A bookkeeping mentality will keep you from the miraculous because you're never going to deserve it. A bookkeeping mentality will keep you from receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life because you're never going to deserve it. You have to understand, standing on your auction block of sin, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only righteous one, said, how much do they owe? I'm going to pay for their sins. God loves you. God loves you. And God's love never gives up. Though you feel deserted, though you feel far from God, though you say within your spirit, I, I don't know where I may find him, I want you to know he's closer than you think. He has pursued your heart all the way up a hill called Calvary. And there, finding you enslaved, he paid your debt. And he took your punishment and he died your death. He pursued you into a tomb and there he emptied that tomb and led both you and himself out. And now he pursues you down the myriad, strange, often awkward ways of life to the moment where you are living right now, to wherever you are and wherever your heart will hear. He pursues you and he says, I love you. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave his only begotten son that we might have eternal life with him. Thank you for love like that, Lord Jesus. I want to end by telling you a story of a, a young man who lived in the 1900s uh, he lived in uh, Chicago. He was a successful businessman. I heard this story through uh, the preach, uh, preaching of a sermon by this individual's pastor. All of these men have passed on now, but uh, his pastor was a fairly famous preacher by the name of Clovis Chappelle. And this man went to his church. And he was his pastor. And this young man was successful, had a successful business, and he was single. And he had not married anyone. He had not met anyone that he had fallen in love with there in the Chicago area. And on a business trip, quite unexpectedly, down in the backwoods of West Virginia, where the communities were very small and the people mostly very poor, he met a young woman. He fell in love with her, head over heels in love with her. And he asked her to marry him. And she consented to do so. He moved her back to the great metropolis of Chicago and there he built her a house and they had their life together. However, she became very sick after three years of marriage. They're both still young. Three years of marriage, she became very sick and whether it was a stroke of some type or some other type of mental illness in her, in her, her mind or Something went wrong in her brain, and she went into a very profound and deep insanity. Uh, at her best, she was not herself. She was unable to have any type of a normal life. At her worst, she was demented. At her worst, she, was, she would scream, and the neighbors complained, and it... it it was terrible. There was no modern medicine to evaluate what had happened in the structures of her brain. And he, 
he backed away from his business to take care of her full time. He loved her and he, he backed away from his business. He moved out of the city, built a house outside the city where he could devote himself 100% to taking care of her. And he uh, strove to do so. And uh, the days passed. She did not get better. One day, a, a physician, one of her physicians recommended to him, he said, maybe maybe if you took her back to West Virginia, took her back to uh, her memories there, maybe it would help her come back to herself. And so, so the young man, he made plans and he packed his wife up and he took her back, took her back down uh, to West Virginia. And they, they went back to the small lanes of her hometown and walked the valleys and walked through the church she had grew up in, hand in hand. She wasn't herself. The insanity still set very heavily upon her. She could not converse. It seemed like nothing was helping. And so after, after some days, she, she led, or he took her, packed her back up, and uh, took her back to their home on the outskirts of Chicago. And on the way back, as they were making the trip, she fell asleep. First time she had really slept deeply in a very long time. Uh, she was, she normally would only sleep just minutes at a time, very difficult nights. She fell into a deep sleep and he, he got back to their house and uh, three years earlier he had carried her across the threshold as uh, her husband, she, his beautiful young wife, and that was pretty love. She, he picked her up, newlyweds, back from the honeymoon, carried her across the threshold into their home. Three years later, she's profoundly ill. She is not herself. She is insane, literally. She's fallen asleep on the trip back. He picks her up and he carries her back across the threshold again, takes her into the bed, lays her on the bed, sorts out their traveling things that have to happen and he gets a chair and sits down by the bed and uh, the, 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 the pastor Chappelle, he tells the story about how the next morning uh, this young man woke up in his chair to see his young wife looking at him with her eyes open and he could tell from the focus of her eyes that she was back to who she was. She was back to herself. And she said this to him. She said, I seem to have been on a long journey. I seem to have been on a long journey. Uh, where have you been? And her husband, speaking out of days and weeks and months and years of patiently caring and patiently waiting, said to her, my sweetheart, I've been right here waiting for you all this time. He wasn't the one lost. She was the one lost. Love is not that we loved God. <laughs> we need God. Love is that God loved us. Yes. Our feelings tell us God's lost, but God's not lost. Our feelings tell us God's far away, but he's not far away. We're the one far away. <laughs> We're the one lost. We're the one confused. And I've come to tell you today, Calvary, his death, and an empty tomb, his resurrection, is truth wrapped in a love story. 
the truth is this. He's God. Infinite, glorious, the creator. Love is this. He didn't give up on me. This is how much God loves you. He took your sins. He died your death. He overcame your hell. He broke out of your prison. And on the way out of the prison, he turned back and extended a hand to you and said, would you like to leave this prison with me? All you have to do is say, actually, yes. Yes. Now that I've thought it through, (laughs) I don't like it here either. And take your hand and put it in the hand of God and say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming out with you. His victory becomes your victory. Let's stand all across the house. Would you do that with me right now? Oh, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the victory at Calvary. I want to thank you, Lord, for never giving up on us. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for never, never leaving or forsaking us, Lord. We don't stand here today as worthy. We don't stand here today as holy. We stand here today as needy people, needing the washing of spiritual regeneration. We need the covering of perfect, sacrificial sanctifying blood. Lord Jesus, we ask that your will would be accomplished in our lives. We ask that your love would reach down into our life, into our heart, into our circumstances, and you would wrap your arms around us, and you would let us feel what it means to be made spiritually whole again. Lord, there's so many of us that are broken inside. We're in many ways as broken as any sinner. We're we're as broken as any transgressor. We're as broken as, as Gomer, Lord Jesus. And our sins are a curse to us. But Lord God, through your mercy, you will wash us and make us whiter than snow. Let it happen here today. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to invite you to step out of the chair you're in right now. We're so glad for all of you here today. Uh, It is our habit at our services. We pray together at the end of our services. I'd like to invite all who will to step out. Make your way as close as you come. I know we're full today. Uh, But just press in as close as you come. Before we're dismissed, we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray together. I want to make make a, a spiritual appeal to everyone here today. And I want you to believe that the presence of God in your life is not simply about something you feel at church. But I want to make an appeal in your life to begin to turn your heart toward the presence of God. I feel like there is so much healing that is God's will for some of you. Even while I was preaching, I, I, I felt your need for spiritual healing. And so I obviously, all I can do is make an appeal to you. You need to turn your heart toward the presence of God in your life. He loves you so much. If you could fix this heart, you would have fixed it already. I'd like to appeal to you to open your heart toward the presence of God. Part of that, part of that is the easy things like coming to church. But part of it is 
your choice of journey, how you walk, how you let yourself think about this life that you have. I'd like to appeal to you today to turn your heart toward God. Is that all right? Because I feel some of you today, I felt such a need for spiritual healing in some of you. I want you to know you're living beneath God's will for your life. You're, you don't have, life is not as hard as you're experiencing it right now. Life isn't supposed to be as painful as you're experiencing right now. It's not supposed to be this hard. It's much easier with God on your side. It's much easier. I'm never going to embarrass you. You know that. But I'm just making an appeal. Uh, If you will let the presence of the Lord to begin to come into your life, your life's going to make a whole lot more sense than it's been making. Lord Jesus, I pray for every individual here today. Lord, I want to speak your divine healing over them, God. I want to claim it for them. I know they need to submit themselves to that healing. You won't force yourself. But Lord, I believe they will. I believe they're ready. I believe they're very ready. And they'll submit themselves to that healing they need to have happen in their life. And that they've misunderstood some of the brokenness of their past as as something that was part of their, their experience of church. And they, they, they've, they've blamed you for things that happened in their church experience. I pray, Lord Jesus, there would be a healing in their life, God, that they would, they would just fly out of that broken place. They just would take up the wings of mourning and fly out of that broken place. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, I receive it in Jesus' name. Put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise here. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. 